Beautiful humans, and welcome to another episode of Growing Woman. I am your host, Christina Singh, and Growing Woman is a podcast all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. Every week, I chat with a woman about her story, and I am so excited about this week's episode. I chat with Michelle Stevens. She's a personal trainer and a lifestyle coach, and she's the founder of My Body, My Queen. Michelle and I had a wonderful conversation. She's a type 1 diabetic. She's a dancer and fitness professional with certifications in personal training, clinical exercise, physiology, and group fitness. I really adore this conversation with Michelle because she gave me so much more insight into type 1 diabetes, her journey, her um, journey with intuitive eating, with her body, managing her diagnosis, what it was like growing up with type 1 diabetes, and um, then coming into more conversations around how she works with women and how she really embraces um you know, the like feminine energy that we that we all carry and how she brings that into her work. Michelle is also certified as a level two diabetes care and education specialist with published research in diabetes care. And we really talk about how she has a sweet spot for helping women with autoimmune, metabolic, chronic illnesses and women with mystery symptoms that are still undiagnosed. Um, She is truly inspiring. It was really wonderful talking to Michelle. This episode is so informative and really gets down to the brass tacks of being in touch with yourself, with your body, your intuition. Um, And I do want to offer a content warning. Um, We do talk about uh, insulin and we talk about um, we talk about using syringes. And so I just wanted to offer that Um, In case you might need that when you're listening to this episode, we also talk about diet culture um, and Michelle's relationship with food and how that's ever changing. Enjoy this episode. I absolutely love this conversation and I'm I'm really excited to introduce you to Michelle Stevens. Enjoy. Also, I want to mention the noise you're hearing in the background is my husband. Thank you. Michelle, welcome to Growing Woman. I am so, so thrilled that you're here on the show with me today. Hi, Christina. So good to be here. So lovely to have you. We connected over Instagram, which I love, but we have a mutual connection, um, a past guest of this show, Laurel. And I know that um, we've both talked to her about each other. And so I was just so excited that we could finally connect and um, just so thrilled to hear more about your story and the work that you're doing. Um, You have a company called My Body, My Queen, correct? Correct. So um, from my my, uh, deep dive into your work, you're really all about empowerment, finding power around wellness, and you have a personal history with wellness and specifically diabetes, correct? Correct. Um, so I would love I, to hear more from you about that <laughs> if you want to yeah. elaborate. Um, I'm Michelle Stevens and uh, founder of My Body, My Queen. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 1992. So we are coming up on my 29th uh, diabetes anniversary, wow. die birthday, die anniversary, however you want to call it. And um, because of that, because of getting diagnosed from such a young age, I was always mindful of health and wellness stuff. And, you know, I thought I was going to go the traditional route, be a diet, be an endocrinologist, um, go to medical school. And along the way I found exercise science and I wanted to learn more about what was going on with my body. Cause anytime I had any kind of workout or exercise, it would affect my blood sugars and doctors couldn't really help. They just said like, they say walk more, but they don't really give any other guidance along that. Right. And so I uh, did my undergrad and my master's degree in exercise science and 
come to find out every type of exercise is going to affect the body differently. And the effect can last on blood sugars for 24 to 48 hours. I I had originally found business through um, multi-level marketing, network marketing, and Mm. have since walked away from that, have unraveled that. Uh, It was a really tangled experience, but found online business years and years ago and have been part of this community and just trying to figure out my way of what I wanted to talk to the world about has been such a huge personal development journey. Um, but the thing that's always been consistent is really taking care of my health, not letting chronic illness get me down, like respecting it, respecting that it's a difficult part of my life, but learning how to maneuver around it. Um, and, and fitness is one way to sort that out, but I'm by no means a just do it kind of person. I'm like, let's adapt to what's actually going on with our bodies and not push through it. Um, yeah, I love this so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have my own experience, um, with gestational diabetes. I had that when I was pregnant, um, with my son and it was really hard. <laughs> it yeah. was very hard to manage. It was a very different lifestyle to manage. Um, and I want to clarify from you, you said exercise affected your blood sugar. Are, when we talk about exercise affecting your blood sugar, from my experience, it helped lower my blood sugar numbers and stabilize them. Is that what you mean? Or did you, do you mean exercise affected it in a way where it was kind of like a roller coaster, depending on what you were doing? So managing type one diabetes can be a bit of a roller coaster already. Yeah. Um, because we don't have anything that's regulating our insulin. Right. Whereas in like type two diabetes or pre-diabetes, it's, it's that the insulin isn't getting used effectively. Got it. So exercise can enhance that because the way I put it is the muscles get hungry and they help process the blood sugar. Um, and then you also have the liver to balance things out. That system's broken in a type one diabetic. Um, there's no insulin output when the liver decides to kick in is different every day. So, um, the threshold meter, if you will, just doesn't function quite as well. So it depends on the type of exercise I can go for, um, a half hour walk, probably like a 45 minute walk. My blood sugar will go low if I didn't do anything to prep beforehand. Um, and I'll have lower blood sugars for the next day. I might even have some lows that happen in the middle of the night because of it, just from, just from a low intensity walk. Wow. And that, and that tends to be what people recommend most. But then when you look at something that is a little bit more, um, let's go on the other end of the spectrum with like high intensity interval training that peaks, the adrenals, the adrenaline, your cortisone, stress hormones. Um, And so in that way, you don't go low during exercise. You might even actually have a high blood sugar, but then the effect of that exercise lasts longer because the muscles are trying to recover from what happened. And so, so it continues to like enhance what is going on with insulin for those 24 to 48 hours. And then some things can be like a little mix and a little bit more neutral. Like I used to teach Zumba. Um, used to teach boot camp classes. And so uh, I'd have to prep differently for those classes and how I was going to, I mean, it was nice being a teacher. I could just control how the workout went. But. Right. <laughs> this is so fascinating to me because I'm very, obviously because of my own experience with this, I'm very used to what I had. And, and I didn't know very much about type one in the way that, um, movement would affect it as much because I was, you know, and during my experience, it was very much like, okay, this is what you eat. This is how you lower this. This is how, you, because my, I, I was producing insulin to have that regulate everything. And so I think it's wonderful how you're describing these movements, because I don't think in your experience, did many people know about these types of exercises to reg your to like manage their blood sugars in various ways or how these, these exercises would affect their blood sugars in various ways, because this is the first time I'm hearing of yeah. these diverse um, outcomes. Yeah. So I, I wish I had, I wish I had looked into this before I 
started school, but I guess I was meant to be there and meant to be on that path. Yeah. Um, but it turns out there's, and this was at the time that I graduated and I didn't have any hard numbers to go off of, but I met somebody else who was an exercise physiologist. And she said, there's only about 50 exercise physiologists, diabetes educators in the entire country. Wow. Which is one reason to explain why there weren't particular job descriptions written for us, but also it's a matter of billing and insurance. Right. And so primary diabetes educators are primarily, they are registered nurses, nurse practitioners, registered dietitians. And so it's, it's a super specialized field. And then there's a lot of us, if you look at the type one diabetes community on Instagram, tons of active people, because we know that we just have to take care of our health. Right. Like at the end of the day, it, that is just what you do. If you want to be proactive about it, you see a lot of smiley, sweaty faces on, <laughs> on Instagram in the type one diabetes community. And so there's people who approach it more from being a fitness enthusiast and may get their personal training certification. Um, and then on top of it, everybody's different in how they react to it, how they react to anything. Yeah. Right. If you look at a type one diabetic and ask, how do you respond to exercise? How do you respond to alcohol? How do you respond to certain foods thing? There will be some trends, but there's a lot of variability too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And when so you were... what I find is oh, go ahead. People, yeah. they, they find one thing that they really like and they tend to stick with that. Mm-hmm. But I tend to do like a whole variety of things, which was another reason why I found this out. You know, I'd have one day where I was doing Zumba. I'd have another day where I was doing a high intensity interval treadmill thing. Um, yeah. yeah. And started to learn that way. We're our own case study experiment. Sort of right. Thing. This is really fascinating to me. And, um, I think you're such an important resource for this community because, even in the first 10 minutes of our interview, I'm like, what? (laughs) Like, just because I had some knowledge about my own experience and experience of others around me, but this is new news to me. And especially the numbers around um, other folks that are doing what you're doing. That's really small in in my mind. Um, I'm curious about when you were first diagnosed, what was that process? Like, what did that look like? And, and how, how did you, um, how did you emotionally manage that? Yeah. Um, it's perfect that we're talking about this, by the way, you didn't know, but November is diabetes awareness month. Oh, wonderful. So oh my perfect. gosh. Yay. Perfect timing. <laughs> perfect. Um, November 14th is world diabetes day. Um, so it's a great time for all of us to come out. I love internet because it just allows us to all support each other. Um, yeah. yeah. But, um, so when I was diagnosed, um, and keep in mind type one diabetes and type two diabetes they're they really can be looked at as two very distinct diseases. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, there's also like the pre-diabetes, the gestational diabetes, um, There's also like type three diabetes. There's people that are somewhere in between. Um, Right. There's, it's more than two types even, but um, for my case in type one diabetes, I, let's see, the symptoms started showing up around Thanksgiving. I was dropping a ton of weight. Um, I was really dehydrated. And um, we think what set that off was getting chicken pox in the summer and it there type one diabetes tends to have a genetic disposition disposition to it. Mm. So there was something in my DNA that allowed my immune system to go haywire and it just went into overdrive when I had chicken pox and it started fighting those cells that make insulin, but the symptoms didn't really show up until the end of November. So over time, I was dropping a lot of weight. I was drinking a lot of water. You could tell by my eyes that I was still dehydrated. Obviously I was having to go to the bathroom a lot. It's really irritable because I didn't feel great. Um, and just a lot of sensitivity to things during that time. And it wasn't until the Christmas party, um, kindergarten Christmas party 
I'm dehydrated and I kept reaching for fruit punch because I just wanted something to drink. I didn't know any better then. And so my little body got overloaded with sugar and it got rid of it in the most efficient way possible. And I got sick next to the two boys that later ended up being my seventh and my eighth grade crush. (laughs) 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 And they remembered it. Um, Oh no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I got sent home that day because people thought I had the flu and I did not. Um, When my parents got home from work, I had been laying on the couch and I was so weak. I couldn't get up off the couch. Um, So they took me to one hospital who probably checked my blood sugar. And then they transported me to children's hospital, Orange County. Wow. And then, um, and then later that night I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. So, wow. Um, yeah. What did and, that management, like what happens when you're diagnosed with diabetes and, and how, how is that now managed? So technology has changed immensely. I'm sure uh, over these almost three decades that I've had type one, um, when I was first diagnosed, it was really strict. Um, it was only, um, taken care of by insulin injections with a syringe and a vial. So I guess we might need a trigger warning, a content warning on sure. Um, but, uh, it was, yeah. So I had a really strict regimen that I had to follow as a kid. Um, and it was MPH and regular for those people who are in the know. And I had very specific times that I had to eat and very specific amounts of food that I had to have. And also what they wrote for me was traditional food pyramid diet. And so it was really balanced, but when it comes down to it, it was a lot of food for a little kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember a lot of dinner times where just like any other kid, I I, I didn't want to eat. And so um, my family would come up with some workarounds for stuff for me to get the carbohydrates and like in a really condensed way. But yeah, I remember like as a kid, we'd have like, maybe it was like Sunday night dinner and have a small serving of steak, half a potato, um, a fruit cup and a like four or eight ounce, uh, glass of milk. Um, that's a lot for a little kid. Yeah. Yeah. Plus a vegetable. Like (laughs) sounds like my, like one-year-old's meal right now and how much he eats, but (laughs) yeah, (laughs) no, but it is a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it was a ton. And then, you know, there would be some, when we discovered fig Newtons and that was a really great way to get a lot of carbohydrate for a very small amount of volume. Yes. <laughs> um, we learned like these weird little swaps for things. Like if there was a kid's birthday party early in the afternoon and they were going to have pizza, it would be like having my dinner in the afternoon and my snack at dinner time. Mm. And we'd have to do swaps like that all the time, which definitely affected my relationship with food. Of course. Um, yeah. That's a lot of logistics yeah. to manage. And yeah. at a young age, having to manage those logistics for your, yourself and having your parents manage that. I mean, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I would have to, um, send my mom a little, um, message to her pager to say what my blood sugar was whenever I tested at lunch. And thankfully we had other type one diabetics that were at the school. So we would be silly and we would, our, our blood sugars would trend together, which is fascinating on its own. But, um, if we were all low, we would do a competition for who was the lowest. If our blood sugars were all high, we would do a competition for who was the highest. Um, just dumb things like that. Or if you got a perfect 100 magic (laughs) confetti, amazing. Whoever, whoever had a 100 blood sugar, like one that day gets a pack Um, of fig Newtons. I love it. No, 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 everything. Um, Yeah. But I mean, I remember in fourth grade, I was, um, teaching my friends that a hot dog bun has 30 grams of carbohydrate, which is the same as a sandwich. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, I I only know these things now because of my own experience looking at these things and being aware of it. Right. Um, you know, that's the fact that you had to manage this at such a young age and have this awareness with food. And you're saying it definitely affected your relationship with food. Um, I am 
I, I can only assume that as you got older, that impacted your relationship with food yeah. via in your adolescence or, you know, a, as you're growing up um, because of the way that you've now framed your company. So can you talk about why, like what, what has been your relationship with food and what is your relationship now? And, and why did you choose to frame your company around honoring one's body? And I mean, it's a very powerful name, my body, my queen. So can we talk about that aspect of, of this journey that you've been on? Yeah, we definitely can. Um, I, let's see, when I was in sixth grade, um, we moved from insulin injections to, um, uh, what we call multiple daily injections now. And it was a different type of insulin. And then I transitioned into using an insulin pump mm-hmm. and that allowed for a lot more flexibility of things. And they, at the time, at least they said, when you go on an insulin pump, you either gain 10 pounds or you lose 10 pounds. Well, I gained 10 pounds because I really enjoyed having that freedom and being able to eat like everybody else. Um, and because for my entire like elementary school career, if you will, I was different, you know? Right. Um, and so I really, I really connect with the body positivity movement and the health at every size movement because how starting my life off with a diagnosis, it made like quote unquote healthy stuff feel just out of reach. And I can be, I may not be healthy. I may not be a hundred percent healthy because the definition of it is to be disease free, mm. but I can still be a healthy version of me. I can still be a healthy diabetic yeah, or whatever other diagnoses I've gathered along the way. Um, because autoimmune conditions like to party together. Yeah. So, um, that's been really important to me and I never felt like I fit in with, um, I was in dance as well. And I was one of the bigger body types on my dance team. Uh, so that had an effect, um, being an exercise science major, I was surrounded by people who were varsity athletes in high school. And I was a dancer, mm. very different body types that were around me. Um, being in network marketing for a weight loss company, weight loss, nutrition company, there was a lot of pressure there. Um, and so it was, it was something I was always mindful of, but before there was even Instagram, um, I got to this point where I got rid of all my magazines. I didn't want to see those images anymore. And now, now we have Instagram and we have other people in our feeds all the time. So that's important to monitor for like your own, for anybody's own like body image issues that they may have. Like just because they're a fitness person doesn't mean you have to follow them. If it makes you feel bad about your body. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I love that there are, um, so many people that are coming out and I'm seeing more, um, seeing more content from people who are not the stereotypical, um, physique bodybuilder or bikini model type of body. Yeah. And that's really encouraging to see. And then also people sharing what their journey looks like at the very beginning. It's, it's definitely huge. Um, but yeah, I've just, no matter what, I have to always think about what I'm eating. Yeah. Like whenever I eat, oh, right now my, my insulin pump is beeping at me um, because of what my glucose sensor says my blood sugar is. Okay. Clear that alarm. And but it this just is your stops. life. I mean, that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is your reality. Yeah. 100%. Anytime I sit down to eat something or just mindlessly grab like a small snack, a handful of chips or something. Um, I have a choice to either dose for that or not. Mm. Right. Like it's never like 100% mindless (laughs) there. You know how, like, we don't like to count calories for things that like, you're like, it's just a handful. It's fine. Right. Well, that's going to show up in my blood sugar regardless. Right. And then sometimes there's just a nice little, I get a little pass. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't spike my blood sugar or 
I do the thing that I should do and give just a little, little micro dose of insulin for that. So it's just, there's always these thoughts around food. Right. Um, So eventually (laughs) it had been recommended to me to go dairy-free, gluten-free and soy-free, um, in my twenties. And I was in denial about that for five years. And I call that delicious denial because it was delicious. I got to have, I got to have cupcakes and pizza like anybody else. I got to have pasta when we went out to a restaurant or something. Um, and my philosophy is count your carbs and take the insulin for it. You know, that's how I run my diabetes, but that's to each their own of how they yeah. want to do that. Um, and yeah, so it took me five years to finally commit to being soy-free, dairy-free, gluten-free, because I just really didn't want to think about food any more than I already was. Um, but and were those three categories that would help that process of you not having to think about food as much? No. So it, it helped, it's helped the autoimmune stuff that I have. I also have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Um, I had a lot of mystery symptoms that were going on. I have asthma and allergies. Um, and so taking those three big things out of my diet has really cleared up a lot of strange autoimmune stuff that I had going on. Yeah. Yeah. It does make, it does make my food choices a lot easier because Mm -hmm. most, most desserts, most snacks are off limits you know, the more of the temptation stuff, like when I'm in the office, yeah, yeah. birthday cakes and birthday, birthday cake is not an option. Um, yeah. So in that way, it's, it's surprisingly simplified some things and actually helped my relationship with food. Interesting. Cause I'm not, I'm not trying to do paleo. I'm not trying to do whole 30. I'm just watching out for those three big things. And that in itself just narrows my food selections down immensely. Well, I think when Um, we talk about, um, you know, the whole 30 or a paleo lifestyle, um, you know, there are a lot of people who founded these lifestyles because of their relationship with inflammation or their relationship mm -hmm. with an autoimmune disease or um, their relationship with food in general in, in a way that it was impacting their health. And so I think it's really important to clarify that, um, I'm sure in your work and in your life, you have, it's, it's very easy to slip into, um, disordered eating patterns. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to clarify, um, when something is working because it is impacting and bettering your health because, of your health (laughs) because of your, your needs. Um, so it is very, it's really wonderful to hear you talk about your relationship with food and really, um, refreshing to hear. I, I hope this is not coming off like insulting, but you, you mentioned things in a very clinical way, which is refreshing, um, because that is something you're experimenting with. And Mm -hmm. it's very easy to understand um, when you explain it. (laughs) And I think sometimes there's a lot of blurred lines in diet culture um, and that can be really frustrating. Oh, 100%. I, um, I used to work with some people who um, were RDs and um, also working on their doctorate. And, oh, if you wanted to get them off on a tangent, you talked about how Diet books were written by people who don't have a nutrition background. Most, most diet books are written by somebody who is a celebrity in some way. A lot of the things that catch on. Um, but there are things like, like you're talking about that are coming from an, from an autoimmune standpoint. Um, personally, I just choose, I don't want to look at the big, big food list. So I just took out the th- the big things. Yeah. And then by taking those things out, I could figure out what else was bothering me, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like eggs, mm, I just avoid those most of the time. Now, unfortunately, avocado is 
slightly problematic as well. Um, but I wouldn't have known that if I took 30 things out of my diet. Right. Right. You're working on this experiment. Like you were saying earlier, this kind of case study Mm -hmm. around exercise is the same way with food around experimenting what works well for you and what doesn't. And I feel that this is all very aligned with, um, intuition and looking at what works for you intuitively. Um, and that, I feel like has a range for people, no matter what their health is, um, you know, no matter if they, um, have diabetes or if they have an autoimmune condition, or if they have, um, something else that is impacting their life. Um, and they're observing their, their food intake or their blood sugar and monitoring their health. It sounds like the work that you're doing is looking at these things in a way where you are, um, learning at them, but also intuitively coming to these decisions mm-hmm. would, does that reign true for, for what you're feeling? Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> a lot of my diabetes does get run by intuition. Um, obviously there's the things that we know we need to do, but there's also these times where like, you're like, I think I'm going to go low. So I'm not going to dose for this thing, or I have a feeling I'm going to spike. So let me keep an eye on this. Yeah. Um, so there's little intuition things that come from diabetes and it, it, because I'm monitoring that so much, it just gives me a, a much deeper lens for, um, what my body's interacting with, you know, there's little cues that show up earlier that I'm getting sick or I'm fighting some kind of infection or, mm-hmm. I didn't sleep enough and my blood sugar is going high, little things like that. It like assists my intuition, um, and my self-care. But the other thing of it is like, definitely, I definitely encourage women to listen to their intuition and it's tough because it just gets downplayed so much as women for us. Oh yes. You know, just that feeling that like, we need to consult with other women before we make choices of even what are we going to wear out tonight? Like, Mm -hmm. what are you wearing? You know, (laughs) consulting, consulting with the council of friends. Um, and if, if somebody's telling you that something is healthy and there's just a tightness in your chest about it or heart racing, or just some part of your muscles kind of clench up, it's probably not the thing for you. Yeah. Um, at the time when I decided to go soy-free, dairy-free, gluten-free, everybody was talking about how amazing Greek yogurt is because it was high protein. Well, it was upsetting my system in a multitude of ways. So it really wasn't a great idea for me to have Greek yogurt, even though it was a high protein food yeah. compared to other types of yogurt. So it's, it's little things like that, that it, it's so individual. And so we totally can be- like for me, I, Greek yogurt is great on my system and like, it works for me. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, but it's just like, it's so true. I mean, there are just so many different things. Like you're saying it's going to impact your body in so many different ways. I love right. your, um, comment around intuition and it not being really, um, respected or valued as much when it comes to just the, the topic of female intuition or having a gut feeling, um, we all hear about it. We all talk about it, but I think when it comes to, um, business or putting out advice into the world, um, you know, professional life, uh, emotions are, set aside. I think that has a lot to do with, um, the patriarchy and white supremacy culture. And, um, I, I think that there's a lot of structure that has been built into our society. That's not really, um, allowing for feminine energy to take the reins in various ways. Mm -hmm. You have built a business really looking at feminine energy and looking at embracing that and, um, really having more of an air of like, honestly, like this kind of sacred space for your body, where did this come from? How did you decide to do this? And like, and what does this look like for you? Oh, so, uh, this is, 
it's so different than how, if people knew me in high school, like, I think they'd feel that I was consistent, but I'm, I'm definitely a very different version of myself than I was back then. One would hope we would all be. Yes. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Um, and so in, when I was younger, I was, I was following all the rules. I was, um, I was Catholic. I was singing in the choir. I was leading youth ministry, um, just involved in all the ways. And, um, in 2014, I became part of Mama Gina's school of womanly arts. Actually that started in 2013 through her, um, virtual option that she had. And actually probably even before that, um, cause I was on her mailing list for a really long time and I, I read her books, but I didn't, I didn't deep dive into that until about 2013 and 2014, I had a near death experience and it was following the first weekend in New York, uh, the first weekend of four for her community. And it was, it was this giant reset button, um, mm-hmm. to say, we're not doing this anymore. Like you're doing things differently from this point forward was, was the very clear thing. And that also goes into intuition. Um, there was a diet, there was a detox diet that I did in the February prior to that. And it took me months to finally say like, okay, I'm going to do this. It was like three months of no, um, three weeks of a really intense meal plan. And I had to go to so many different grocery stores and specialty places to get all of the ingredients for this. And it, it was real food. It was, it was international food. It was healthy food. Um, or it was non-American food and it was healthy food. Um, and so I was like, this must be okay. Right. But I had a lot of resistance to actually doing the thing for three Mm. weeks. And it was such a shift in my diet that it pulled up this underlying condition that got misdiagnosed. And I was given an antibiotic that I didn't even need which led to an infection in my body six weeks later, which skyrocketed my blood sugar. And this is like all while I'm in New York for a weekend, um, skyrockets, my blood sugar that weekend. I thought I had the flu. I was trying to sleep it off like everybody else, because that's what everybody does when they have the flu. Right. And it turns out that my, I didn't have the flu. Uh, my blood sugars were skyrocketing and I didn't realize it. I should have gone to the hospital. And instead, um, I fell into a three-day coma. Oh my gosh. And my, the last thing I remember was I had, I had made it back to Maryland after the Mama Gina event, made it back to Maryland. Last thing I remember is Monday at five. I didn't get found until Tuesday at two. My mom had been reaching out to me because I had been uh, out of town in New York and she wanted to know how my trip went. And when she didn't hear from me, she started getting worried. And then uh, Tuesday morning, she realized she could do a welfare check on me. So she did that. I was found um, in my bedroom, passed out. And I woke up Thursday afternoon. Wow. So I had been out for three days woke up to find out I had uh, C. diff, diabetic ketoacidosis, heart failure, and pneumonia. Um, and I was in the hospital for a total of nine days and it took like three and a half months of antibiotics to clear all that up. Oh my gosh. But I'm laying there in the bed and I was already part of the online business world at that time. And I was like, if this could happen to me, this could happen to anybody. Right. I already had my, had my master's degree in exercise science. I knew stuff. I overrode my intuition and kept taking that antibiotic, even though I had been on this intense diet and lo and behold, taking, we already know taking antibiotics when you're not supposed to, it was a bad idea. Right. But I overrode my intuition. My doctor overrode my into her intuition and misdiagnosing me. Um, I just created this whole host of issues, but I was in the middle of this, like school of womanly arts thing. 
And so it was the perfect place for me to just completely reinvent myself and how I operated. And so I very much took the the feminine approach for things Mm. and honored my emotions and honored how they change, honor the fact that I'm a cyclical being and I'm not going to wake up every day in the same manner as I did the day before. Right. Right. It we're, we're cyclical creatures, just like the moon. And it, it may take us a month to fully process something, Yeah, yeah. you know, and just, just even that was huge for me. Me um, too. I mean, when you realize that you're, you're on a monthly cycle and every week it's going to be a different yes. experience. We are not taught that. And there have been so many conversations I have with women around ovulation and just the, you know, menstruation and just mm-hmm. this whole process of our monthly cycles where it's like this light bulb moment, because it makes so much sense when it's explained to us, but we're not, we're never taught that. Right. So I love that you're mentioning that right now. Yeah. Well, it's actually a shift that I'm, I'm making like that was in 2014 and it's taken me this long, even with the magnifying glass on what it is that I'm doing. Like some of it was my own burnout recovery that had to happen in those seven years and, and prioritizing myself and my own self-care and energy management with spoon theory and, um, which is used for chronic people with chronic illness. But I think we can all benefit from it because just, if you just learn to not schedule yourself so much around PMS week, probably be a lot better off. Like, yeah, you know, (laughs) if we can, right. It is, it is a luxury. It is a privilege to be able to say no to things on your calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a shift that I'm making and like, let's, let's look at the fact that we're, we are hormonal people and all of the things that that does like diabetes is linked to hormones. Um, our cycles are, and our life phases are linked to hormones. Um, there, there's so much to explore there and how can we adapt based on what our hormones are 100% where we're at with things. So, yeah. so you that, were sitting in this hospital bed and you were, you know, go, you were like reevaluating everything. What happened from there? Uh, from there, it, it's been such a journey and um, mama Gina's community is taught me to really like hone in on my own power as a woman, explore my own sexuality. We talk about pleasure research, um, which is fantastic. And it can be anything we want, you yeah. know, of, of learning how clothing can empower you. You know, what I, what I chose to wear today, I was thinking about, um, even just wearing a little bit of lipstick and a little bit of eyeliner makes a big difference. Sure. Yeah. My, my choice of jewelry. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's like, it was like super blingy. Um, but doing those little things that, that give you just give me a little bit of a boost, um, learning to do that stuff, learning to figure out, okay, what do, how do I really feel about that stuff? And sometimes that means, um, playing with different extremes, but it, but it's a good, good experiment (laughs) to have and just in dating and navigating that. And if something just was a, maybe it was a no. Um, and if, and if something, if an idea of something really excited me, then I went for it and I gave it a try and sometimes it flopped, but I could use that as data for next time. Oh, I love that. Collecting data, (laughs) collecting data. I was, I approached, um, dating as business interviews. I'm like, (laughs) all right, you're on your first interview. Let's see if you get a call back. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. And when dates went wrong, they were Kate, they were, um, character studies of like, (laughs) what can I learn about this person? Yeah, for sure. this This person came into my life for some reason. Who are they reminding me of? Is such a great way to take your power back in that situation. Uh, there, yeah. there was just this one scenario where this guy was, I just, I couldn't believe the stuff that was coming out of his mouth. <laughs> and I just sat back and I was like, you know, I've never actually met another man like this. 
I thought they were all like this. I thought they all viewed women this way and they don't. And that was helpful to see, but also realizing like, huh, I know women that are more mean to each other interesting than, than men are to, and it just reminded me of like my middle school bullies. Yeah. Huh. Okay. We can let that go. <laughs> yes. I love that. And like the, the thought of, um, just like being very mindful of how, of where you are in the moment and really mindful of, um, how you're feeling and like what mm-hmm. that, what that moment is doing for you in that time and, and what can you learn from it? Um, when did you decide to start my body, my queen? And like, what, what does that look like now? That started, um, I I've gone through so many different brands over the years. Um, but my body, my queen has been around since I believe 2019. Yeah. Right around my birthday seems to be a magical time, uh, (laughs) for business inspiration, but yeah, it was 2019. Sorry. I had to time travel a little bit. All good. (laughs) (laughs) Same me all the time. (laughs) Uh, so it, it's been around since 2019. Um, most of what I was doing was on Instagram talking about uh, self-care, uh, talking about spoon theory. Um, cause that was huge for me to just honor the, 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 um, buzz of things that's going on in the back of my head about type one diabetes and, um, having Hashimoto's and allergies and asthma there, all these things that I have to navigate all the time. And, and spoon theory is typically used for people with chronic pain, but I think it's relevant for those of us with autoimmune as well. Um, because there is a lot of like energy zapping that happens. Um, and spoon theory is really just the belief that every morning we wake up with a certain amount of energy and our day takes a certain amount of energy out of us, but then going through our day with chronic illness takes more energy out of us Mm. for the everyday thing. So people with chronic pain have to be able to like make it to the end of the day. And sometimes they have to make decisions about, am I going to shower? Am I going to make dinner? How am I going to feed myself? Um, am I going to change my clothes today? Because just even those, those things are taxing. Right. Um, so a lot of my body, my queen was talking about self-care and spoon theory. And I have a couple workshops, one of which is spoonful of nutrition to talk about food sensitivities. Um, another one is spoonful of fitness to talk about the, the foundations of exercise science that people don't know, but let me pass on my bachelor's and master's degree information to people. Um, and, um, yeah. And then now, now there's this new shift that's coming with talking about women's hormones and, yeah, and, and starting the conversation there. Um, beautiful letting letting hormones be the guide. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, I cannot believe we're coming up on our hour together. (laughs) Um, And I definitely would love to have you back to talk more about hormones and to talk more about that um, shift for you too, because I feel like that could be another hour of conversation. Oh, yes. Um, Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your journey, if they want to talk to you, work with you, where can people find you? Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for asking. Um, my website is mybodymyqueen.com and I have, it's going to be all pretty and shiny by the time this <laughs> episode, uh, is released. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram. Those are the two places I tend to be. Um, my Instagram handle is mybodymyqueen. And I also have a type one diabetes account. So if you are interested in that, um, it's mybodymyqueen underscore T1D. So beautiful. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And then for my final question for you, I asked this of every guest on the show and you've listened to the show, which is really exciting. Thank you. <laughs> and, um, I always talk about, um, allies. We've talked about feminine energy. We've talked about community and the community you've built around you and that you're now building for others. Who are your, um, 
allies that identifies women in your life? My grandma, for sure. Oh, 100%. Um, right now she's not doing so well, but like, gosh, she's still got, she still has her vibrant spirit about her. And I love that. She can't remember much of anything right now, but her spirit and her personality is still there. And she has been a vibrant feminist ray of light in my family. And I'm so honored that I've gotten to learn from her and experience life through her lens because it's just, it's just always a party when she's around. Like she's a local (laughs) celebrity in, um, in the LA area. And yeah, I'm just so thankful for that. She was, she is so ahead of her time, got her, I mean, she's my grandma. She was born in the twenties and got her master's degree, wanted to get a PhD, um, but honored the times that she was in for that. Mm. Um, but she still, she didn't keep that to herself. She told me, she's like, I wanted to get a PhD, but your grandfather didn't. Um, but it didn't stop her from being a teacher of women's history and Latin American history. And, um, yeah, she went on marches for women's rights and yeah. So I've learned a lot from her and just also the fact that feminism has changed a lot, um, for her, but in the conversations I've had with her, she would be right on par with everything that's going on as well. And so I'm really all about like inclusive feminism and have even like rethought, you know, do, should I really be addressing people's like, hello, hello, saying hello, hello, queen. Like maybe Mm -hmm. I shouldn't, you know, maybe it really should be a conversation for everybody that's there and how they want to, how they want to identify. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I love that answer. I let me correct that. How they do identify. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love your answer and I love, um, I'm very close with my grandmother too. So that definitely sparks lots of love in my, uh, heart as well for wonderful, wonderful grandmothers. Um, Michelle, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. It's been absolutely wonderful learning from you and talking to you and hearing about your journey and hearing about, um, yeah, just, just your path in life. So thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time. And I can't wait to have you back (laughs) to talk more. So thank you. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Um, Mm -hmm. and my little sign off for everybody is you are safe. You're beautiful. You are held, you are loved and you are super sexy too. Oh my gosh. I love that. (laughs) Our sign off on growing women is never forget that your story matters and you matter. Um, We'll see you on the next episode of growing women. And thank you everyone for listening. Growing Woman is brought to you by Amplify Her Media. Amplify Her Media is a media company dedicated to amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. Follow along for more at AmplifyHerMedia.com or follow along on Instagram at AmplifyHerMedia.